The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Paul Lim, and I've been serving here at Christ Press for the last seven years as a scholar in residence, uh, along with my position at Vanderbilt University. It's a perfect combination of uh, being in different spaces to interact with the people of God and to learn together and learn from you as well. So today's scripture has already been read. We are kicking off our Advent series. Um, Advent, it conjures up a lot of images, uh, maybe colors of green and red and things that we decorate our houses with and people that we hang out with and foods that we eat. But for me, and as I want you to really think about what Advent means to you, I remember talking to somebody not too long ago, and and, uh, he said to me, oh, Advent means Presbyterians trying to be like Catholics. We don't really really use that word, but you're trying to be like cool. So I, I think that could be one of them, but... Among other things, I think Advent means, at least for me, it's a, it's a period of longing, waiting. Uh, we all, as humans, we long to belong. We long to belong. And so we have this longing for belonging. And more than anything else, the Advent message tells us that God, in God's perfect longing, desired to belong to us and desired that we belong with God so that God became one of us in Christ Jesus. So we are kicking off that series, and we are also of that tradition in Protestantism that privileges the living and the written Word of God. That means, among other things, it is important for us to issue that challenge, uh, and that is this Will I let God speak into all areas of my life? Will I let the Word of God speak into all areas of my life? Such as, where do I go to school? Um, who do I become friends with? What kind of job should I pursue? Um, how, how should I spend my money? What to do with my life when I retire? Who do I sleep with? How do I sleep with them? What steps do I take in my professional discernment? And all of these things. And I think it's very important for us to be frank about what we let God 
speak into? What areas of our life that we really let God speak into? Of our finance, of our sexuality, about our professional pursuits, and our life in general. Because today, as we have read, we will encounter a young adult or probably someone between the age of 14 to 20 who was likely to have been a middle schooler to all the way to maybe college sophomore, if you want to borrow today's parlance, who encountered the word of God by way of an angel visiting her that really unsettled her, but in the end she allows and invites the word of God to really challenge and comfort and reorient her life. Mary let the word of God define and design her life. What about us? No matter how we see this text, we cannot avoid the mystery of this Annunciation text. I've been talking to some friends about this whole issue. You know, someone asked me, like, okay, was this an audible and visible event? Did Mary actually see Gabriel the archangel or not? Is that important? I think it's an important question. Some have said, well, it really actually took place in Mary's heart so that it took place for real, but no one else was able to see that angelic visitation. So people have been debating this and discussing this and writing diatribe and uh, discourses. Maybe that doesn't concern us, and that's okay. One thing that should be of great concern for all of us, however, in this worship service, joining us in person or online, is that we need to take seriously that Mary encountered something truly extraordinary that she was in the least prepared for, and that mysterious visitation of the angel really defined and redefined her life and, in fact, changed the course of human history. Because at that particular juncture of that angelic visitation lay the juncture of this uh, redemption or salvation history. So what I'll do today for the rest of our time is this. Uh, I'll call this uh, sermon a mystery of annunciation. And there are three parts to this mystery surrounding Mary's encounter with angel Gabriel. The three points are mystery of predestination. And you haven't heard that word in a while, predestination. We're going to talk about predestination in this context. A mystery of the power of God. Mystery of the positivity of Mary. So predestination, power, and positivity. Let's go, right? So first point is mystery of predestination of Mary. And we see that in verses 26 through 33. As I was reading this text over and over in preparation for our today's sermon, I, these words really struck me as peculiar or are the ordinary, or they just literally jumped out of the page for me. They are found in verses 28 and 30. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. In that sentence, the word that really jumped at me was highly favored. Because in verse 30, it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. The word is favor. Favored or favor. So, how did Mary become a favored one? Was it something intrinsic to Mary that got her to be the favored one? Or did God make her the favored one by appointing her to be the favored one? I don't know if you're able to kind of think with me, but this is pretty important for us to think together because does God choose you because there's something intrinsic about you or internal to your being and your activity that makes you more likely the recipient of that divine favor? Or does God choose you because God chooses you? This has been an ongoing debate for millennia. Right, Because how, the, the tension between divine sovereignty, God's freedom, and human freedoms 
Do we choose God or does God choose us? Right? And this is, we see right here. When the angel said, you are favored, was it something about Mary? Like the movie called Something About Mary that then made her more likely the recipient of that divine favor? Or was the choosing of Mary itself become the favor itself? So let me put it very bluntly and plainly. Was Mary more developed in her holiness and sanctity so that she could be a fit vessel for the bearing the child of God? Unprecedented event, and this is going to require someone really special with unique qualities and preparedness. Is that what it is? Then what about her friends, many friends, Salome maybe, Martha, and 50 other Marys? Did you know that Mary or Mariam was a very common Jewish name? So then, so was there something about Mary that she was peculiar and particularly different from everybody else from early childhood? Or was she like everybody else, but God, God's choosing her makes her special in and of itself? Again, whether it's Augustine or, you know, uh, Pelagius or Thomas Aquinas or other thinkers or Protestant scholastics or John Calvin or, you know, Erasmus or Luther or, you know, uh, um, others, Arminius, people have been debating this, the extent of divine sovereignty and human freedom. I wish I could show you the video that's uh, from the movie The Matrix. It's the first series of the movie The Matrix. There's the Oracle and Matrix. Uh, Neo has this conversation about human freedom and divine choosing and divine sovereignty. And it really kind of shows, and this has been something that, that we are struggling with, perhaps not even knowing that ourselves. Do you do everything because you've been already predetermined to do so? Or are we free in doing this? And I think we'll see a very interesting interplay of the two in today's text. What we will see is Mary is not compelled to be obedient to God, and yet Mary does so, but, but she's also prompted by the word of God that assures that she will be the fit vessel if she's willing to do that which is called and required of her. So in the history of Israel's salvation, there's a very interesting thing that shows up, that God reminds the people of Israel that you are my beloved vessel, not because you're more numerous, not because you're morally more kind of developed or sang, uh, um, kind of um, more uh, developed or more morally upright. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, this is what it says in verses 7 and 8. Through Moses, God says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you're more numerous than other peoples, for you are the fewest of all nations. So God says, look, I didn't choose you because you're more powerful. I didn't choose you because you had greater military might or moral kind of integrity. I chose you because the Lord loved you, it says, and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. That means unless the people of Israel developed a sense of moral superiority vis-a-vis -vis other peoples, the Lord says, you know what? The reason for my election of you, the reason for your predestination, is because I loved you. I simply have chosen you among so many other nations because I wanted to do it. So more than anything else, both within Judaism and Christianity, a hallmark of both these traditions is the freedom of God that comes before any other freedoms. That free, God is free to do whatever God desires. That means throughout history, some people have kind of mistakenly thought that maybe we are kind of chosen by God because of something that, that's internal to us. Maybe it is because of our nation that is so much better than other nations 
and so on and so forth. And that can lead to a very wrong sense of national or nationalist identities. Let me illustrate it this way. So it takes back to five World Cups ago in 2002. I had a chance to teach in uh, uh, Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. And this is during the, the Seoul and Tokyo Olympic, uh, World Cup. And I was teaching at this theological college in Addis, and there was this uh, teenager boy who was really kind of hanging out with us, and I was there with my dear, dear friend, Sean McDonough from Gordon-Conwell Seminary, where I taught before coming to Vanderbilt. And this is what happened. So uh, this guy said to me, you know, uh, it's something that I'll never forget, and I haven't forgotten in 20 years. He was saying to me and Sean, my friend, says, your God is strong. Look at America. Look at your country. Your God is strong because you're from America. And he says, our God is pathetic. Look at us. And it really kind of struck me as being very peculiar. And I haven't forgotten that so many throughout ancient history and today, there have been all these kind of nationally bounded deities. And for my friend from Ethiopia, he says, well, our God is weak and your God is strong. You see, if we actually think about our own being chosen along national and national or racial or cultural lines, it can easily kind of bleed into having a sense of unhealthy and unbiblical sense of national superiority, cultural superiority. For my friend in Ethiopia, he said, your God is strong because your country is so powerful and our God is weak because our country is not. You can see how the next and next steps might be like. So the mystery of predestination, was Mary chosen because of something that she has done or she had prepared herself? No, not so. Not so. God chose her because of God's wonderful plan. God's choosing her will, in fact, empower her and enable her to respond to God. All the while, she maintained her sense of agency and autonomy. And, there is, and therein lies the mystery of predestination. Mystery of God's predestination was that it was not based on some unforeseen, on some foreseen choice that Mary will make that made God choose Mary. It's not. In fact, it was a choice itself that will empower and enable her. Here's a song that I used to sing when I was a youth pastor with my group in Philadelphia back in the 90s. It's a song called, Why Have You Chosen Me? Why have you chosen me out of millions of your child-to-be? You know all the wrongs I've done. Oh, how could you pardon me and forgive my iniquities? To save me, you gave Jesus, your son. Oh, Lord, let me be what you want me to be. Your word I will strive to obey. My life I now give. For you I will live and walk by your side all the way. I am amazed to know that a God so great could love me so, is willing and wanting to stay. His love is so wonderful and his mercy too bountiful. I can't understand why. I confess. You see, in the same vein, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. He says, after talking about this wondrous gift that we have received by, by, by God's free grace and faith, he says, where then is boasting? He says, there's no basis of Jewish boasting. There's no basis for Gentile boasting. There's no basis for any kind of boasting because you are made righteous by God's sovereign act of choosing. And he says, Paul writes, it is excluded. Boasting is excluded based on the law of faith. That it is Christ's perfect righteousness that he bequeaths to us as a gift that makes us righteous. And God chooses us based upon God's sovereign freedom. So there is that mystery of free, uh, predestination. That leads me to our second point. That is, mystery of the power of God, the Holy Spirit. We see that in verses 34 to 37. All right. So let's now think about what the content of this angelic annunciation. 
basically and bluntly put, she's going to have a baby. She's going to have a baby without ever having a human intervention or intercourse. There are some middle schoolers and high schoolers and college freshmen and sophomores here. I want you to pay attention especially. Imagine you're told that you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby, and this baby is going to be the son of God. This baby is going to come about without anyone touching you, without, without having that necessary act of sexual kind of intercourse for you to have a child. And how are you going to tell your mom and dad? What will you say? Will you say to your mom and dad, you know what, uh, this angel came and, and this angel said, I'm going to have a child and, and I'm going to be the f- mother of the son of God? Would you say if your mom, like, oh, that's a great idea. We've been waiting for this for a long time. You're going to be the pride and, you know, no, you're going to be like, what, what? So there are multiple levels of confusion and chaos in this Mary's household, actually. Possible, right? Because Mary hears these words and she's utterly confused. And it says right there that she's deeply perplexed. She asked the angel, then how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. I mean, that's an understatement of the day. I mean, like, I would have said, like, a lot more things, but she's super calm and collected and cool, right? So she says, okay, how will this be because I'm a virgin? And the angel explains, right? So, but, I mean, so I, we always downplay this. We always sanitize this account and, like, pretend, like, oh, yeah, we know how it ends. We do know how it ends, and that's the trouble. Because we know how it ends, we basically sanitize the, the real strength of the story. If you were actually married, you would have been shocked. You would have been, first of all, shocked that an angel came to you. Second of all, that what the angel says is that you're going to have a baby. And third shock of it all is that this baby is no ordinary baby, but son of the Most High. I mean, triple, like it's a trifecta, it's a you know, whatever, triple threat, right? I mean, like you hear that your angel shows up, you're going to have a baby, that baby is going to be the son of God. You're not going to walk away thinking, huh, what a great day I had. No, you're going to be... <laughs> it's a great day. It's such an, for sure, an unforgettable moment of your life, right? It's, it'll be the spiritual Kodak moment of your life, right? Oh, I just realized Kodak is a word that's not from... Do you remember a camera? You know a camera is? There used to be a Kodak company. So Kodak moment means it's such an unforgettable moment that you should have captured it on your Kodak camera. So it's Mary's spiritual Kodak moment. But it's also a moment of great unsettling, you see. And I want us to kind of latch on to that point. It was going to be a potentially a moment of great unsettling. Because she, hasn't, she has yet told anybody, right? She hasn't told her mom and dad. She hasn't told her friends. And she has yet to tell Joseph, the man that she is betrothed to. And we know that from the first century Jewish cultural context that women, uh, they tend to marry from 14 onward. Okay? So you, she could be anywhere between 14 and 22. And it's likely that Joseph was considerably older, so at least three to four to five years older than Mary, maybe even more. And uh, the, the weight of this, this burden that she was going to have to carry is going to be an enormous one. Because to be a child, single mother, or child literally out of wedlock, means that it's going to be kind of the occasion for cultural, cu- culturally ostracized, Right? I mean, her family is facing this kind of certain prospect of cultural kind of ostracization. Moreover, it's not just being ostracized. She, her life may be in danger and not just, you know, talking about the, the marriage being called off. So this is going to be a real problem. So this is going to be a weird and strange kind of these words must have sounded to Mary. Moreover, I mean, and let's think about this. She's going to bear the child of God. Now, who was Mary. Where was she? First century Palestine. That means she's part of the occupied people. She's more like to be an Ethiopian than an American, if you know what I mean. 
She's from a, a, a country that is not actually looked upon as the most powerful country. In fact, her nation had no, no independent sovereignty, no independent existence. I'm going to offend some people here, so please bear with me, though. So it's like telling Mary that you're going to be the mother of the child of God is tantamount to telling the fans of Houston Texans that they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. Because NFL power rankings, according to last week's result, they're ranked like they're what? Oh, what's their record? One and eight and one or something like that? They're not doing very well. So if I were telling the Texans fans, or like, hey, you guys are going to win the Super Bowl, they'd be like, no, that's so improbable. I've been at Vanderbilt for 17 years, so my favorite basketball teams are Vanderbilt Commodores women and men's basketball team. I don't think they're doing very well. So for me to tell Coach Stackhouse or somebody else, like, hey, we're going to win the March Madness, both women and men's, they're going to say, great job, doctor, but we're not going to win. I mean, it's just so improbable, yes, both Houston Texans and Vanderbilt Commodores. But multiply that to 100 times. That is how improbable it is for Mary to believe that she's going to be the bearer of this child of God. I want, I want that truth to soak in for you. Mary did not expect this. Mary was not prepared for this. She shows up one day, one day like any other day, and angel shows up and, hey, you're highly favored. She's thinking like, how am I favored? You're favored because you're going to have a child. You're favored because you're going to have a child out of wedlock. You're favored because you're going to have the Son of God in your tummy. Now, under what normal circumstance would you call that being favored by God? If your daughter, moms and dads, came home one day and says, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a mom, would you say that's being favored by God? No, you'd be like, no, this is not very good at all, is it? So we need to rethink our priorities. How does God express and, and kind of, you know, demonstrate God's power? Many times, God's demonstration of God's power isn't going to look like what you expect of divine demonstration of power here. So we find her asking, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's basically saying, I ain't got no power to make that happen because I'm a virgin and how can I be with child? And even if I did, I'm not sure that I want that to happen to me, and understandably so. Even if I had a power to have a child out of nothing at all, would I want that? Would you want that, ladies, here? Here, Angel Gabriel gets right at the source of the power. Who's got the power to make this happen? Look with me in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And furthermore, uh, Angel Gabriel gives her a collateral proof. She says, your relative Elizabeth, who's way past childbearing age, she's actually pregnant too. So if you don't believe me, you will see that your relative is going to be pregnant. And so you better believe this. And mystery, mystery of the power of the Holy Spirit here is one of the first instances where the Holy Spirit is spoken of before the Pentecost as an active agent of God to accomplish the purposes of God's salvation. So the Holy Spirit really aiding and, and really kind of accomplishing the work of salvation by helping this teenage girl carry through her term of pregnancy. As mundane as that sounds to you, and that's exactly right. Mary did carry the child through full pregnancy, right? Because now I don't know whether you think about it like that, but I want you to think that way because that is the fact. Mary did not have the baby within four weeks. Mary carried the child through full pregnancy. That means, you know what? She's going to have to experience the expanding of her tummy, 
And with an expansion of her tummy inch by inch, half inch by half inch, she's going to, be, she's going to have to be reminded that this is not going to lead to a disaster. And that to me is a work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we need a good theology of the Holy Spirit here. The, 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 the angel says, no word from God will ever fail. So says the angel. And so the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the mystery of the Holy Spirit is this. That just as in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, we read of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. Right? Preserving and protecting the waters so that God can accomplish God's work of creation beautifully. The same spirit that had hovered over the waters as a way of preserving and protecting, it is that same spirit who will come on Mary and overshadow her to protect her and empower and preserve her throughout the pregnancy and beyond. Mystery of the power of the Holy Spirit is this. Aside from this annunciation, angel Gabriel does not appear to Mary again. In fact, in fact, the rest of her pregnancy was rather ordinary. She gets to visit her relative Elizabeth, and she stays with her until Elizabeth, Elizabeth gives birth. So they are together, kind of mutual support, I suppose. But the Holy Spirit was the one who was comforting her, reminding her internally that with every inch or half inch of her growing tummy, that it is not some sick cosmic joke or divine comedy. That even though no one else would understand or want to understand, the Holy Spirit will hover over her and protect her and mysteriously continue to speak into her heart. Again, Mary's pregnancy was an ordinary one in terms of her length of pregnancy. She did give birth to a child in an ordinary way. The child that she was carrying was extraordinary, not a product of human copulation, that this is going to be an extraordinary child, but the fact that she was going to have to really kind of bear this alone for quite some time, right? She did tell Joseph, and Joseph wanted to kind of break off the marriage until he himself was told by an angel to not break off the marriage because the child that is going to be born is going to be an extraordinary son of God, God with us, Emmanuel. Thus, this whole reason for the pageantry of Emmanuel, I mean, for Advent and Christmas and the whole thing. But here's the thing. The same power of the Holy Spirit that has come upon Mary is a spirit that, as uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that is with us and around us and over us. Notice what he says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes us for us through wordless groans. Think about that. So have you had instances, because I certainly have, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't even know what to do. I don't know what's going on. And the writer, the Apostle Paul says, you know what? The Holy Spirit intercedes with wordless groans when we don't even know what to say. That same Holy Spirit who was hovering over Mary, who was hovering over this created, uncreated mass of things, create, you know, before anything at all came to be, that same Holy Spirit is the one who is with the Christian in her weakness, in his weakness, in their weaknesses, really hovering over, teaching us what to say, and indeed praying for us when we don't even know what to say at all. And I'm sure you have been there, as have I. Third and the final point leads to the mystery of the positivity of Mary. So let's look at this. It's in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me to be, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. So the positivity of Mary's response to this divine invitation and challenge comes from her acknowledgement of her positionality. I am the Lord's servant. 
She recognizes her position. Okay, I may be an ordinary teenage girl in this Palestinian area, this Jewish area, but because of your word that is now creating reality for me, I need to acknowledge and accept the fact that I am the Lord's servant. The positivity of her response is predicated on her positionality. I belong to the Lord. I am the Lord's servant. I belong to the Lord, and I am the Lord's servant. It is not my way or the highway. It is, in fact, going to be his way or no way at all. My position dictates what is possible and positive. She's basically saying, in, in as much as I don't really understand, my glass is half full. If the Lord says, it is. How do we get there? How did Mary get to that point? Mary gets to that point because she hears the words and she hears the words of God from an angel that says no word of God will ever fail. That God's will will not go astray or asunder. That God is going to accomplish God's purposes and you are in this unique role because you're going to have to bear this child. And she says, I don't really understand all of it, yet all all I know is that I am the Lord's servant. Mystery of her positivity. How do we get there? How do we get there? Can we get there? Okay, so the same word that is used in verse 28 of our text in Luke chapter 1, the word that says highly favored, that is the word that's kekaritomene. That means that same word, cognate word, is used in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6, ekaritosen, which means that if you were to look at that text in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, this is what Paul says. This is a breathtaking language that describes for us how we are chosen by God in Jesus Christ. So again, just in the same way that Mary and the predestination thing is important, in the same way that when Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, what he begins with is that the fact that you're chosen before anything at all came to be in Christ. That means that the theology and the doctrine of predestination, according to Paul, was actually going to be a very comforting doctrine. And according to John Calvin, this Genevan pastor, who really said, you know what, to really properly understand the doctrine of predestination, we need to see it in and through Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, we're going to be led to this labyrinth from which we cannot extricate ourselves. That means more than anything else, to understand Mary and her predestination, to understand our being chosen by God and in Christ, that means we need to see it always squarely with Christ as our anchor. Yes, we need to anchor down in Christ. We need to make sure that we're with Christ because he's the lens through which we can see our identity. He's the lens through which we can see our journey. He's the lens, he's the only lens through which I can make sense of my perplexing life journey so far. And so we say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant. But I want you to say these words with me if you're willing and able. And we're going to say these seven words together. And that's actually found uh, in our text, Luke chapter 1, right? This is where she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Can we say that? May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's sit on these words. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary didn't understand all the circumstances. She's never had sex before. She's never had children before. She's going to more, but on top of all that, she's going to have a child. She's never experienced God in such a palpable and powerful way. And yet she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I don't understand it all, and that's not a requirement. Dearly beloved, whether you're middle school or high school or out of college and retired, whatever it is, it does not matter. May we say, as Mary did, may your word to me be fulfilled. Because that's exactly what Jesus said to his father. 
He says, I'm here to do your will, and I am here because what, you know, and, and the zeal for thy house will consume me. He says, all these things are written about me. I am here to fulfill. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, as the, both as the son of Mary, but also Mary's Lord. So we say with Mary, Lord, I don't know how you will lead me, where you will take me, but I do know this. My destiny has already been predestined and chosen by you. I'm already loved by you, so here am I, take me. Impregnate me with your seed. The word of the Spirit so that I can be all you desire me to be. May your word to me be fulfilled. I love that prayer by Origen of Alexandria, a third century Christian, who said these words when he's meditating on this annunciation. He said, Lord, impregnate me, make me pregnant with your seed so that I can bear witness to you to the ends of the earth. May those words be true of us as well. May the Spirit of God impregnate us with the seed of the eternal and infallible Word of God so that we may, in our Advent season, really learn to emulate and desire rightly in and through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Gracious God and glorious Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're ever near us with, in and with Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have spoken these words uh, out of the mouth of Gabriel, and the response of Mary, then may your word to me be fulfilled. Lord, may we, like Mary, recognize the fact that we are called to be your servants. As we sit here in the worship service, as we have heard the word, and will soon partake of the Eucharistic word, both eating and drinking, may we celebrate, may we really be excited about the fact that we belong to Team Jesus, and that really clears all the hurdles of superiority, but we come with humility and joy, knowing that in Christ we are all. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.